I guess week seven, we're at week seven, so pretty much halfway through, and uh, we we have been covering, you know, largely the the Syrian crisis perspective. We want to keep going with with how we can grow in compassion. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the last three weeks of class. So even if you have friends who may not have been a regular part of the class, I hope that you'll sort of help us get the word out because it's a really good, good opportunity for us to train more people and mobilize more folks uh, for the many needs that are here in Nashville. Uh, Roger can share a little bit about their family this morning. So we have two good neighbor teams, they call them, at Otter Creek. And their, their uh, group is working with a Syrian family that's recently resettled here in Nashville, and they've got some good news this morning. And then I'm, uh, my team is working with a family from Iraq, and uh, they continue to uh, become acclimated to, uh, to Nashville. They recently bought a used car they're really excited about. It already broke down, and they've already had it repaired, so it's going fine. Uh, they live in Stonebrook, and uh, just a beautiful family. Uh, boys 11 and 9 and girl, the cutest little girl 3 and um, the husband speaks really good English the, the mom is still learning uh, and the children are doing well they're in school already and, uh, and picking up English really quickly so uh, just really neat to, to continue to take that conversation for me personally and for others that are on these teams out of the abstract and into hey this is a real family that cares about their kids that cares about their education that just want to have a good job, that just want to do their best and do right by their family. So it's really interesting to get to know them. Um, please be praying for those two families as we work with them here at Otter Creek. Uh, but you can, you can be a part of those things. It's so, it's so special and, um, and helpful. It's just real. You know, it's just uh, you can talk about it all day long, and, then, and we do that every Sunday. But it's really unique and fun to, to be a part of of helping people. And so I'm really excited about the next two weeks after today, uh, the, the following two weeks, you're going to hear from refugee families. We're going to actually have them here and hear a little bit about their story and uh, how their resettlement process went. And then, of course, Laura and, and a friend from the Salome Clinic will be here next week to share a little bit about their ministry and what they do, uh, sort of boots on the ground kind of people uh, helping refugees in our city. So we want to... Um, as I said, just continue thinking about what it means for Christian folks like you and I um, living in Nashville, which is a, a, a city of resettlement, and it, the government, for whatever reason, has determined that Nashville is sort of a is fertile soil for, for, for families in terms of an economic standpoint. It's a great place to resettle because it's more affordable than a lot of other cities. Of course, you and I are thinking affordable, <laughs> but nationally it is believe it or not an affordable place to live um, so last week we last week we started this topic of do not be afraid of course a mantra in the Bible we see it throughout Judeo-Christian history there's this message of not being afraid and uh, the early church was very acquainted with welcoming strangers and it was just a piece of who they were it was part of their DNA to welcome strangers and it was um, their reputation preceded them we see that in first, first century writings, second century writings. So what Roger and I started to do last week was talk about some of the fears and um, just kind of tackle those head on because they're real. Um, I don't want to invalidate them. I don't want to minimize them. If you, if you have had these fears or wrestled with these questions, I think we all have to some degree. So we want to be honest about them and, and share some of the facts about these, these particular topics. 
I think it was last week I shared a, a rather stereotypical propaganda video and you see these floating around on social media and you see it uh, in writings and people's talk and whether it's uh, politicians uh, likening refugees to Skittles or the like, you know, it's out there. There's just this reference to all these, you know, imminent dangers that we face by accepting these people and those people. And uh, 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 for the most part, it's just not founded. And so what we're trying to do is share some of the facts and about what's really happening and really just about how few people are actually entering our country through this avenue. There's not a lot, I mean, percentage-wise. And so um, we just want to be uh, factual as we approach this because, uh, you know, not only from a social and political standpoint do we need to be aware of what's really happening, but certainly from a Christian perspective, as we try to prepare our Christian response to this topic socially, um, you know, we definitely need to be informed about, you know, what, what really is happening. Um, so Roger talked about terrorism. Uh, last last week and mentioned some great uh, statistics on that from our research and a lot of what World Relief offers in the way of research I think over the last 20 to 30 years of resettlement in the United States only three particular cases of refugees who have been resettled through the US program have been found in any way linked to a terrorist threat so nothing's actually occurred no, no terrorist act has occurred by refugees who've been resettled. Now the three that were brought in sort of arrested, um, two of those I'm sure, uh, according to my research, were, were radicalized after the resettlement. So they were here for some 15 years before they uh, were at least found connected to a terrorist network. So there's really, I mean out of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that have been resettled, there's only been three, question, three sort of questionable cases. So um, Roger shared this, we've talked about this, just the most vetted immigrant group in all of our immigrant uh, resettlement policies in terms of uh, people groups are, that are being resettled. The refugee population is more vetted than any other immigrant uh, population. So very detailed process, multiple interviews, multiple background checks, multiple international and national agencies that are thoroughly vetting uh, folks being resettled, uh, and particularly since the Syrian crisis, right? It's, it's, it's even more heightened. Uh, this is uh, an amazing document provided um, for citizens of Tennessee, and, and we shared this on our class notes. If you haven't gotten this link and you're interested, we'll be happy to send it again, but um, this is a great document showing all the financial and economic contributions from the refugee population. Since the 1990s, $1.4 billion have been contributed to the Tennessee economy by refugees. And so um, amazing studies are out there. They're available to show you that, in fact, uh, it, they're not an economic drain on us. They're a contribution to us. And so we really need to be um, aware of, of their contribution. Um, in Matthew 25, Jesus said, I was a stranger, Xenos, the Greek form, I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. So we've talked about xenophobia and the, the idea that maybe a lot of us have sort of a, a, a bias, either conscious or subconscious. It's certainly promoted um, in, in various ways in our media and news coverage in terms of this 
the subconscious narrative of people of European descent actually being superior in some ways. Um, I meant to send the link uh, send the link to you in this past week's class notes, and I don't think I did, but it was the doll test. Do you, do you remember? Was that in the link? I'll be sure to send that this week, but um, psychologists uh, for years have uh, tested and noted that, that children in American culture will actually point to the, the doll of color and associate that doll with uh, evil, misbehavior, mistrust. And so I'll send you that link, but it's an amazing um, psychological test that, that says that bias is present in our culture. You know, I, I can't say definitively how it gets there, but it's there. And so um, we, we are afraid of other. We are afraid of people that don't look like us. We do uh, extend sort of, we do have biases against people that look different than us, that are from different uh, ethnicities than us. Uh, and Wait, so, does that go broader in the sense of, like, I know the, our fences have become taller. Yeah. Than our, we as people are just are we're much more insular, mm -hmm. and so has that the term stranger could be a, well, it's definitely applied to refugees. In some ways, I feel like it's even applied to our next door neighbors. Yes, and how there's that fear there of you know we're not sure we can trust them. Is that another byproduct of what we see in the media that we're just we don't know who to trust? Yeah, so therefore we don't trust anybody. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment of our culture. I don't think anybody would disagree with that, but good thought. Um, the, the Iraqi couple that we work with, um, one day she she wears the hijab and everything, and she was telling me, I, I was asking her about her neighbors, and she said, well, I'm scared of one of them. And I said, what? Well, he wears this big turban. Yeah. She's scared of the Hindus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm going, you and said, we're trying not to be scared of you. So yeah. You, please. Sure. Get to know him. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's universal. That's right. That's right. And I think I mentioned last week's class. Uh, Mirsoff Volf has a great book, Exclusion and Embrace, and it's just a great look at fear of other anybody that's not like us. There's an immediate wall that's built. Fears um, are there, and then and then we live in a culture that actually sort of plays on that, that natural tendency and heightens the, that wall even, even further. Um, we talked about Islam. We, we wrapped up, I rushed through Islam, and so I want to slow down and talk a little bit more about our fear of Islam this morning, and then we'll segue into some things that Roger has uh, this week on the mission of God. And so our, our premise this morning is the mission of God. And so I want you to think about the things that I'm, a, I'm about to review and and say for the first time on Islam, sort of have in the back of your mind this great commission, this go into all the world. And we have this beautiful time in our, in our history where, um, you remember in, in Acts, as Jesus is kind of giving his, um, his goodbye, and the Spirit of God is coming upon his church to lead, and there's this idea that you will be my witnesses in Judea, in Samaria, ends of the earth, right? So there's sort of these concentric circles that we see. Judea is kind of home and Samaria is regional and all the way to the end, right? And so you, you kind of get this feeling that the church is going to lead here and, and everywhere. 
And it's, it's really a unique moment in time where the everywhere is like here now, right? We, we live in a global, in a global sense. We're, we're connected globally to everybody that, we, that we'd like to be connected to. And we know exactly what's happening in, in Aleppo, Syria, right? So we're, we're seeing now Syrians just hundreds of miles away that are right here, like one click away from you right now because of this team. So it's such a unique moment in history where we're so connected globally. And um, to me, that spells opportunity in the way of mission. Because now um, the, the old school term of being a missionary doesn't have to simply be getting on a plane and going miles away where, let's face it, the bulk of us as Christians are, will never do. But now at the grocery store, uh, at the post office and in schools, you can be a missionary to the world. Now, that's exciting, right? That, that is like a golden opportunity. And so I think it's an exciting time for Christian people who are excited about the message of the kingdom of God to know that it doesn't get any easier. I mean, it's just a wonderful time in history to be so connected globally and to be prepared with the good news of Jesus right here in Nashville. Uh, one of the most appealing things for me moving to Nashville, uh, Jenny and I, four years ago, was, of course, we have a daughter from Ethiopia. And so it was exciting for us to, to the prospect of moving to Nashville where 95 languages are represented. You know, it's a very culturally diverse city. So we were excited about that, to, to expose her to such a diverse place and not be in such a homogeneous place. So anyway, let's talk a little bit about Islam. This is where we left off. Um, I want to leave Roger enough time. So, this appeared on Facebook, uh, I think in 2010, County Commissioner Barry West from Coffee County posted this. Um, he, he pulled it down after a lot of backlash, and, um, but, but I shared last week a little bit about the number of, of uh, sort of discriminating, hateful sort of things that are happening, even here in our own state. We talked about um, this particular mosque uh, in 2010. This was in Dover, Tennessee, I believe, where, um, where you know, this was painted on, on the side of a mosque. So we shared some of those stories last week. I'll not, I'll not revisit those, but uh, you've seen trouble where, where mosques are proposed to be built and different municipalities face a lot of public pressure on should we allow those folks to build or not to build. So there's these really tangible um, you know, fights that have happened even here in Brentwood and Murfreesboro that have, that have um, you know, been nationally covered. Uh, we talked a little bit about that this, last week. There's, there's sort of this underwriting um, impression that the refugees who are being resettled in terms of this fear um, uh, sort of message that's being promoted out there is that these are middle-aged men of, you know, fighting age men from Syria. That, that's kind of the, the dominant uh, thought. And I wanted to share these statistics. We, we glossed over them last week. But between 2005, 2015, here are the number of people coming from the Middle East. 61% women or children under the age of 14. 50% were Muslim. 39% were actually Christian. And so uh, this, this really should address some of the fear that you see in our culture uh, because, in fact, it's not middle-aged fighting men that are all being resettled that are like these high, 
risk or high threat. Now, I'm talking from a social perspective, right? Okay, we're not trying to adopt these fears as Christians, but in order to combat these fears on a social level, I think you ought to be aware of these types of statistics. Does that make sense? Okay, so uh, from the Middle East, 2005 to 2015, you see the, the, the majority of the people fleeing that region are people who would likely be under persecution in that region. It's Christians. And so these are the numbers I think they're important to note um, when we begin our fear of Islam. Uh, this is supposed to be funny, but you know, stereotypes are alive in Christianity as well, right? And if you look at the bell curve, I think that you hope that people have sense enough to lop off the radical ends of Christianity, because there's some real nut jobs in our fellowship as well. Um, the one that's most embarrassing to me personally is Westboro Baptist, you know, the, the folks that picket funerals of veterans and funerals of, of other folks. So, you know, we have people on the ends of Jesus culture that don't represent who we are, and we know for a fact don't represent who Jesus was and is. So um, it's important to point out that Muslims, on the whole, reject terrorist groups as, quote, heretical usurpers. So uh, I think it was wise of our government to begin saying that we're not going to use the, the term radical Islamic terrorist because it's not fair to associate that with Islam. It's just not fair. And so I'm not sure where you land on that topic, and I'm, you know, I'm okay if you disagree with that, that theory, but I think to automatically say that, well, it's Islam is at, is at the root of that, it's not really accurate, especially if you have Muslim friends that could tell you better, that could tell you otherwise. So I'd really encourage you to research that, uh, that argument, that line of thinking, and, uh, and just understand that extremes are never, almost never, the norm. You know, almost never the norm. Uh, and it's certainly true with our faith. And there's certainly people there that are kind of on the ends or the outskirts of Christianity claiming, kind of marching around under the Christian flag, doing things that you and I would never, ever dream of associating with the gospel of Jesus. Agreed? So uh, I'd, I'd love for you to, to contemplate that. Um, before I show you this video, I, I would like to say just be let's be careful what, what we wish for as a country. Uh, as Americans, of course, let, let, you know, step aside from the Christian uh, discussion, Americans believe in the freedom of religion, and that's not just Christianity. That's just the cold, hard truth of our, of our Constitution and the Bill of Rights. It's not just Christianity. It's the freedom of religion. And so we may imperil our own freedom by narrowing the freedom of all. So I think, I think it's a very good message to, be, to say, be careful what we wish for. Um, it's, and Ro, Ro, sorry, Roger, um, I think, touched on the notion that our hate can propel the hate of radicalized groups. And so you better believe that some of the hate messages that are happening here in America are being portrayed to those being trained and radicalized in the Middle East. I know, I know that's, that's out there. Um, I frequently think about Joseph mm -hmm. and how the Pharaoh forgot who they were, who, his, who those people were, yes. and how that changed, that shifted their people, how they viewed Israel. Yeah. You know, they were a protected people, 
and then how they forgot. And I think that as we look to, you know, how we may be the ones who get forgetting, forgotten because yeah. of the way we, we treat someone else. Yeah. Ed Stetzer says, religious freedom for some is not religious freedom for long. I think that's a prophetic way of, of saying the same thing. Um, okay, so last point, and I'll show this video. Of course, Jesus prohibits responding with hate. We've looked at Luke 10, the Good Samaritan, and, and he says, go and do likewise. The message is, um, is you're going to give him your own animal. You're going to pay for the hurt that's been done and you're going to walk with this person and you're not going to live in fear and you're not going to go to the other side of the road. You're going to go to the same side of the road. And that, that was the message that we talked about a couple weeks ago and I appreciated y'all's discussion so much. Um, but this idea of loving ourself, um, doing unto others as we would uh, have done to us is, is central to the Christian message. I want to share this a particular story. This is the testimony of Afshvin Zifat. He's the lead pastor of the Providence Church in Frisco, Texas. Uh, it's a remarkable illustration of what we've, uh, what we've talked about here. So in 1979, Ashvin, uh, his family fled persecution in Iran, where the Iranian Revolution was erupting. Upon resettling in Houston at a time when Americans were being held hostage in Iran, Ashvin's family experienced further persecution, rocks thrown through their windows, tires slashed, bullying at school. But one woman, second grader, uh, his second grade tutor in his English class, treated him differently. She showed Ashvin kindness and love, and she gave him a Bible, which he read years later, and became a follower of Jesus. Ultimately, he became a pastor and leader, reaching tens of thousands of others, including those raised as Muslims. Uh, had, he says, had any other American given me that New Testament, I would have thrown it away because I didn't trust them. You want to win a Muslim for Christ, I believe you got to earn the right to be heard. We earn that right by being faithful to the biblical commands to love our neighbors and to show proper respect to everyone. So I thought that was an interesting testimony. Okay, so I want to share a video, and this will, this will segue into Roger. And I want, to, I want to be careful because I don't know where you stand on this particular issue. And so I'm, I'm throwing it out there as fodder for thought and discussion. So you may not agree, and it's okay. Um, I think it's okay to be patriotic. I'll say that. But I think it's also wise for the church to see things for the way they are, to make sure that um, we don't get co-opted by a nation state that isn't Christian. That's all I'll say. And so I want to challenge you with this video. This is um, the night that bin Laden's death was announced. And um, I want to I play, it's one minute, and then I'll say a few things about it.
Okay, these, uh, this particular video and like ones like it, you know, were everywhere on social media. I don't know if you remember. Um, so what I want to say and, and leave you with before Roger shares. Okay, sorry. Kind of locked up on me, Roger. Sorry, I want to get you back to your spot. <clears throat> I remember having a friend, uh, it's a girl I went to college with, post that night on, uh, on social media, and she, she's a, a girl I knew at, at a Christian school where I attended. And she posted, you know, just some celebratory remarks uh, and posted this video. And uh, so, I, like I said, I want to be really careful with what I say because I'm not going to try to make you feel guilty depending on how you feel about that night or what it meant to you as an American. Um, this is just my opinion. But I remember feeling really distraught that she, as a Christian, was so uh, both feet first joining in the celebration of the death of a man that by our own doctrine we do not believe will go to heaven or will be in heaven, will be with God, will be united with God. So I want to move away from Islam and let's just talk about the redemptive movement of God. So if we believe as Christians that God is redeeming humanity and that people are either moving closer to union with God or further away from union with God, um, wouldn't we say that it's true that that the fruit of bin Laden's life doesn't seem to align with the Spirit of God. He was involved with murderous terrorism and hatred and evil. We, that's, that's, I think, okay to assume. I don't know, you know, we don't know him personally, so I, don't, I certainly don't think that we have the right to necessarily judge him. But the fruit of his life didn't seem to be in step with the Holy Spirit. Let's leave it at that. And if we believe in the redemptive movement of God, that he is either pulling men to him or, he, or men are not being pulled to him, then why would we celebrate as Christians that his life was ended before that fruit was evident? That's a really complex topic. And I, like I said, I don't want to um, clog the wheels of our discussion in this class, but it does make for some really good questions when it comes to the mission of God and how are we participants in that redemptive movement uh, toward all of humanity, toward toward loving and accepting God as Father and, and King. Yeah, and, and so two two things. Number one, <clears throat> I, I watched that video, and I think it's I think it's a funny juxtaposition that someone has an Ovechkin jersey on while they're doing this because you know a, a generation ago it was the Russians, yeah. not the Muslims, who would have been so reviled and you know, Ovechkin is obviously a very Russian player but celebrated now right yep. so how fickle our feelings can be number one but number two um, you know I, I don't I don't view Bin Laden as a Muslim he was just a bad guy he was like you say I mean and you look at him, hey, this guy is a bad guy. And he got, a, he influenced a lot of people to take the wrong path. Mm -hmm. right. and so I can celebrate Bin Laden's death as ending 
a powerful force for evil. Okay, I can see that. Okay, we we he he died. Therefore, he can't recruit and finance people to do his ill will, right? And so, I, to me, that's the celebration, okay? One more source of the wrong doctrine is gone. Whether or not as a human being he should have died to do that, I don't, that's not for me to judge, right? Yep. So, that's just, that's, that's my take on it. Yep. And, and that's good, yeah. and, and I think that's part of what we were wanting to do, is just touch on some of these subjects, and even what I'm about to bring up. We only have time to, to spend just a few minutes touching on the mission of God. We could easily spend an entire quarter talking about this, probably an, an entire year. But the question is, how does everything that we have been talking about the last seven weeks fit into the uh, overall mission, mission of God? Um, we mentioned to you the, the first week and have, have provided some quotes. Since then, uh, these two resources, Seeking Refuge and Welcoming the Stranger, both are written by uh, folks that are associated with World Relief. And it's from a very evangelical standpoint. And both Dwayne and I, Dwayne found the resources. He and I have both really appreciated uh, these books, these resources. Uh, we've used a number of other resources, but o overall, the the majority of the content that we have presented has come from these two books. And they have, I believe, properly emphasized how we as evangelical Christians, and I'll use that term a little bit loosely, but how we should sympathize with refugees, have the compassion of Christ for refugees, and how we should take some responsibility for trying to help refugees. Uh, in fact, that's, that's the whole reason why I brought up uh, this Christianity Today article last week uh, to emphasize the fact that evangelical, um, the most popular evangelical magazine is promoting uh, an attitude toward refugees that is very, very different from that that we're hearing a lot in the media today. You know, Stetzer and a, a number of evangelical leaders have, have stepped up to speak for the plight of the refugees despite much of the anti-refugee rhetoric that we do here uh, in, in the media and among evangelicals, to be quite frank. Uh, I'm just very pleased that we can say that Otter Creek is one of these 1,180 churches that has, has, has stepped up to the plate and is, is helping with these. But, Dwayne and I talked about this and, and where he and I diverge a bit from the traditional evangelical approach to this is in the idea of overall mission of God. And he just mentioned that just a bit. What is our purpose here? Um, hopefully, when it comes to the end results of, uh, even if we took a pretty traditional approach, how we help the refugees versus what I'm about to present, hopefully that end result is, is, is actually very similar in that we all are taking an approach of welcoming the stranger, of helping the refugee, and how that plays out in our lives. But what I'm going to talk about is just a little bit different motivation. I really don't subscribe um, to the traditional evangelical uh, definition of evangelism. In fact, I would call it um, proselytizing. Um, 
the way I, I tend to characterize it, uh, when we typically think of evangelism, we call it, I would call it, uh, peddling posthumous fire insurance. And that's just not the way that I, I see that we should be going about doing things. Uh, our religion has, has typically been all about solving humanity's existential issue of what happens to us after we die. That's the main thing. That's the main point. You know, will I continue to exist in some form after I die? That seems to be the main motivation for so much of what drives our theology. So I really have some serious questions, some serious doubts about the way that we've traditionally defined heaven and hell and the afterlife. I think our, our theology, our eschatology, is much more based upon uh, Dante's Inferno and upon <clears throat> Greek philosophy than it is on anything that we can find in the Bible, that we can necessarily support from the, from the Bible. These ideas are so ingrained in us, you know, from Greek philosophy even before the time of the New Testament. They're so in, ingrained in us that um, uh, we read them into our interpretation of Scripture. We can't help but do so. And it's, there's no such thing as being 100% objective. We're all going to be subjective based upon how we interpret words and language. And that's when we come to any piece of work, in the Bible in particular, with um, uh, premeditated ideas, then we're going to see it that way. And it's not until we start to realize that there are other ways of thinking about things that we can start to see it in, in a different way. After all, we're, we are all products of our environment that have taught us these ideas. So the Maseo Day, uh, what is the overarching mission of God? And again, this gets into where we don't have time uh, today to, to really uh, go into these, but I just want to present uh, a little bit of a different angle. Um, there's a, a couple of books out that I, I would highly recommend. Uh, one by N.T. Wright called Surprised by Hope. Um, John Mark Hicks, Bobby Valentine, Mark Wilson have recently put out a, another book, uh, Embracing Creation. And I subscribe much more to the ideas that are presented in books like these. And in fact, I believe that the leadership at Otter Creek subscribes to these types of ideas as well because of the types of ministries that, that we are involved in. And I believe it's exactly what Josh is trying to convey in his current uh, sermon series, This Is My Father's World. And uh, a few months ago, Kevin Calvet. Had a, uh, had a class by the same title as well, This Is My Father's World. There are um, a number of biblical terms that I think speak to this different way of, of thinking about God's mission, the Messiah. Shalom itself, we typically uh, translate it as peace, but it, it really has a much greater concept. So a couple, couple of different Hebrew concepts here. Uh, this is another one that, that Josh has mentioned, tikkun olam, is the Hebrew that means repair of the world. Maybe that's, this is why the story of the Garden of Eden is included in our scriptures so that we can see this picture of, of the ideal, of really what God wants his creation to be like, and that his mission is restoring that creation. I, I think it's what Jesus is talking about in the Lord's Prayer 
when he says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know, making this earth a place where God's will is done just like it is in heaven. And I believe it's what uh, all three synoptics are talking about when they use, uh, when Matthew uses the term the kingdom of heaven, uh, Mark and Luke talk about the kingdom of God. Uh, John doesn't talk so much about the kingdom, but he talks about this other concept that we typically interpret eternal life, maybe abundant life might be a, a better interpretation of that, uh, Zoe. Uh, Jesus also talks about the renewal of all things. Paul acts, t talks about it in terms of the reconciliation of, of all things. Other terms, redemption of the world, redeeming creation. Um, I've, I've heard it called God's great rescue operation. But ultimately, just all different ways of, of expressing the same concept, that God is all about redeeming His creation, including us, including humanity, but creating what John in Revelation talks about as a new heaven and a new earth. Not about our dying and escaping from this world that's going to be destroyed anyway and going to, to some other place, but about our being concerned with redeeming this world. So I believe the story of God in Jesus is much less about our getting to heaven after we die and much more about our bringing heaven to earth while we're here and while we're alive. So that is the motivation to me for our doing what we're, everything that we're talking about with, with the refugees. I, uh, if you're like me and listen to NPR, you're going to be very familiar with one of their major sponsors, the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. <laughs> and I really uh, think their mission statement is, is a perfect one for the church. Building a more just, verdant, and peaceful world. And to me, that's the mission of Jesus, and that's what he was, was talking about. And I think that's why Otter Creek is so involved in, in ministries like the Living Water Project, and Room in the Inn, and so many others that we could talk about the, uh, the class that's uh, meeting just down the hall from us, uh, the, uh, it, it gets its, its name, uh, the, the class on uh, racial reconciliation, it gets its name from this quote uh, by Theodore Parker, I do not pretend to understand the moral universe. The arc is a long one. But from what I see, I am sure that it bends toward justice. Um, either Parker or later MLK uh, shorten that, and Obama has quoted it as the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Uh, just this past week, I was listening to uh, the Luke Norsworthy podcast, and he had Brian McLaren on there. And McLaren introduced this term, re um, participatory redemption, in that this redeeming of the world is something we participate in. That was God's plan from the very beginning, that we are part of trying to bend that arc toward justice. Um, so this is um, a way of talking about our not just viewing refugees as conversion candidates, someone that we can evangelize in that sense, that we can proselytize, uh, no matter what their religion is. We talked about how many are Christian, but how many are Muslims. So no, no matter what their religion is, realizing that they are made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. 
we, we see helping them not as a means to some kind of evangelical end, at least not the way that we have tr traditionally defined that, but uh, to, to make them a member of our church or some church that's very, very similar to ours, right? Because we've got it figured out. We've got it, we've figured out the right doctrine. But rather seeing them already as a brother or as a sister and wanting to help them simply because they need our help. And maybe ultimately that's a harder way of evangelizing someone anyway. Um, does God have some great purpose in mind? Um, the, the reason he's allowing to take place in Syria right now, the, uh, uh, the greatest human humanitarian crisis since World War II? I have no idea. I don't know. I can't look into God in that sense and how he acts and works. But I'm not convinced that he operates that way. When Paul talks in Romans 8:28 about uh, God working to make all things good, uh, to me that's saying something very, very different, that he can, can work things for good, he can make all things work for good, than it is that um, he can take a that he can take a bad situation and create good out of it. That's very, very different than uh, saying that he caused that situation or that he even allowed that situation to take place in the first place so that that good would happen. I also feel very strongly that there's much for me to learn uh, from my Syrian Muslim uh, family. Uh, there's so much for me to learn from others and from other cultures. So maybe one of the primary positives of our doing this is, uh, uh, is that we will be changed, that we will be transformed, and that we will be um, much more like God, uh, that we will uh, grow to be more like Jesus, as we say a lot around here. So yeah, let me mention just quickly um, our, our Syrian family. They've been here, what, about, about six weeks now? Uh, Terry and I are in, in a group with the, with the Sweeney's, Peggy and Jamie Sweeney. They've been here for about six weeks. She is pregnant. Um, it's husband, wife, two children, uh, boy and girl, girl and boy ages seven and six. And uh, she is pregnant, about six or seven months pregnant. But they've had to live in temporary housing, one of these extended stay um, motel suites, one room, that has a little kitchen off to, to one side, one single uh, full bed for mom and dad, a twin bed on the floor for the, the children. Um, and we've been waiting patiently to get them in uh, some kind of uh, more permanent housing. And praise God, that's gonna happen on Monday. So we're very thankful for that. So if you could keep them in your prayers, I would appreciate it. Let's show this one video as we're finishing up. <laughs> 